Off a weekend that has seen a world title upset in Australia and a heavyweight keep chugging along with another knockout on his way to a potential heavyweight title shot. We're back in on a July 4th weekend edition of the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. I am the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is Dan Rayfield, our content partner, our insider for Big Fight Weekend, the website and the podcast. Uh, Dan, good to be back with you. Uh, we are getting this done as the Independence Holiday is about to happen on Monday to recap the fights this weekend. And we've got a lot to go over, even some news of the week real quick to go over. We are going to be here for the peeps, and this is proof of it, even if there is a national holiday coming up. How are you feeling off of a, a couple of uh, very intriguing fights uh, from the weekend as they both turned out? What's up? How are you feeling? Well, maybe it's just because I'm getting older, but I love the fact that I could watch both of those fights on Saturday and still not have to be up way, way, way past midnight watching them. Yes. I liked uh, that they were early. One early in the morning, which I watched when I woke up, one in the late afternoon, early evening, no problem. And then uh, have your evening to yourself and do your thing. It's kind of time displacement for us in the United States while the uh, win by Jai Opatayo was in the morning U.S. time, nighttime in Australia. And then again, the Joe Joyce knockout the British heavyweight number one WBO contender happening in the afternoon. I think I've joked with you before on these shows and podcasts. This is like being in Hawaii, for example, which this time of year is six hours behind Eastern time where you get to see all this stuff. And then you've got the rest of your evening, sunlight, daylight, go out to go out to dinner, go do stuff. Uh, That's commonplace when you're, when you're out in the islands time displaced. Not that I live there. I live in the Eastern time zone in Florida. Dan lives obviously in Northern Virginia, but it is different for them. Uh, when those um, when those events are happening in that regard. So we kind of get spoiled by that. So let's get into it. By the way, however you found us, thank you for doing so. Make sure you're following or subscribing on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. That's why we come your way off the weekend with the recap, the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Follow and subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, jump on and we thank you for doing so. By the way, one quick mention again, because we were talking about this Friday, we have given away... The Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, the first fight, the hat. We've given that away. I'm going to be sending it to our winner. We drew someone at random that had rated and reviewed the podcast and sent us the screenshot of it. There's still an ongoing contest now for July that we're in. Dan, you've got a cool poster from Haney Cambosis, right? The recent lightweight undisputed title fight. And as you mentioned, first undisputed championship fight in 30 years in the lightweight division, right? And somebody's going to get the poster, right? Yes, first uh, since Pernell Whitaker in 1990. Uh, Pernell Whitaker, of course, the late great uh, Hall of Famer. Devin Haney took him uh, in the four belt era. There hasn't been another three belt era champion since Pernell. And uh, we got a we got a couple of uh, those posters, and I'm going to give one to the peeps. I just got to go on that Apple Podcast, leave the ra- uh, leave the rating in the review, and uh, we'll draw it, and they will have it sent. I will pack it up. I'm a poster fiend, so I know. <laughs> They know that they can be assured I'll pack it nicely. It'll come nice and minty fresh. It'll be beautiful. That's outstanding. So again, rate it, review it, and then take a screenshot, a photo of it, and tag either Big Fight Weekend and or Dan, and we will see that. And we're drawing at random. And keep in mind, again, if you already rated us and reviewed us anytime in June when I started asking for ratings and reviews for the contest for the Tyson Holyfield one hat, you're still eligible here. We'll draw at random from somebody that has rated and reviewed us. So if you're hearing us again here, Rate us, review us. If you haven't done so, screenshot it, send it in. Dan's got a Haney Cambosis official fight poster, the real deal from Australia that they were using to promote the fights uh, from Australia. He'll send that to you. All good 
all cool. All right. Speaking of Australia, that was the upset site. Uh, we talked about this in the preview mode for little known. I'll put it that way. Jai Opataya is his name. Well, he's known now an IBF cruiserweight championship upset win. Score one for the kid here on the Bet US show. I had Opataya for the victory. He got it over Marius Bredis, uh, the Latvian IBF world champion. It was not easy, Dan. It was uh, at the end, a real test of will and injury for Opataya. Let's get into it. He wins the decision, but it came at a cost in this fight. Go ahead with your thoughts. Well, first of all, anybody that did not get a chance to see it, I would strongly encourage them to check that out. Uh, I'm sure they can find it uh, on the uh, replay via ESPN+. Plus. I know it's also on YouTube. Uh, uh, just a really excellent fight. Top, top kind of uh, excitement, some drama. Uh, Opataya, not known outside of Australia. In Australia, known. I mean, uh, uh, you know, he was an Olympian, the youngest ever uh, Australian Olympian when he was 16 years old um, and, and is undefeated as a professional. But on the world stage, this was him crashing that party because uh, Bredis has been the traveling road warrior, uh, been in his, you know, been a, uh, had a cruiserweight title three times, you know, other, other one that you know, he had previously given it up, uh, was the slight favorite in this fight. But boy, oh boy, what a titanic struggle they had. Look, I thought Obatai was going to win handily because he got off to such a strong lead. He had uh, Myris Bredis cut, and he was just uh, outboxing him and really taking it to him. But he uh, he got nailed and and started to slow down a little bit that second half. But Bredis with a massive comeback. Uh, and as if you watch the fight, you'll see them talking about it. You could tell he had a very badly injured jaw. Uh, the trainer said it happened. In the, in the second round, but it really became apparent. They could see it. It just was looked a mess uh, in like the 11th round. I cannot believe that that Opataya got through that fight the way he did. What a tough, tough as nails person to be able to take that kind of punishment. That's got to be one of the most painful kind of injuries that you can take mm -hmm. in a boxing match. And uh, and to still keep on going, just a remarkable uh, uh, feat. And, and look, Bredis was the IBF champion, but more significantly, at least in my mind, he was the Ring Magazine champion, which meant he was the number one uh, cruiserweight in the world. He had beaten a slew of top quality guys. His only previous loss had been by majority decision in the World Boxing Super Series in a unification fight against Alexander Usyk, who would go on to win three of the heavyweight titles. So if that's your only defeat, and now you go on the road to take on an undefeated Olympian, uh, and he gives you you know all you can handle in a, in a, in a competitive loss, you know, it's still good on Bradis for, for being able to get through that because even though he broke the other guy's jaw, it wasn't like Bradis came out on skis either, TJ. He had uh, a, a bloody nose the entire fight he said afterwards. He broke his nose. He had uh, other cuts that were giving him problems around his eyes. Uh, just a, a – I mean, I can't sit here and tell you it's the fight of the year. Uh, you know, that, that wouldn't be truthful, but it's just a really good, entertaining – dramatic exciting fight i think it's fair to say it should be right now in the top 10 on championship fights for the first half of this year that's fair isn't oh, it top 10, yeah, top 10 i can say that yeah we're not you overselling know, that no i mean i did a i did a, a piece for my Substack uh fight freaks united newsletter uh for my subscribers where i did uh the first half of 2022 fights of the year and i picked a selection of a bunch of fights and then made my pick for what i thought so far was and you had fights in my you know off the top of my head it was fights like charlo castaño too the amanda mm -hmm. Serrano and katie taylor uh the great women's matchup uh trying to think what other fights i had in there vol canelo i didn't have that in there i didn't think that was a fight of the year contender that was a good fight Even but it was a bevol upset interesting well the upset to me it's it's the action it's not so much mm -hmm. the result so i mean that was a good fight don't get me wrong but i didn't have that as like one of the top six. Oh, you know the Lee Wood versus Michael Conlon fight with the wild fight. And then that dramatic ending where 
He knocked Michael Conlon out of the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, my point is, uh, I don't know if Opataya versus uh, uh, Bradis gets to those level of fights, but it was a damn good fight. And and I was, uh, as I was saying to you before we started recording this, I, I was I got a, a text message. I was texting with Dean Lonergan, who was the promoter for Jai Opataya, who I've known going back to the Jeff Horn Manny Pacquiao days uh, about five years ago this weekend, a matter of fact. Um, and he was telling me that that uh, Opataya underwent surgery, that he broke not just one part of the jaw, but they broke it on both sides of the jaw. I got your medical term for it. I had to look this up and learn it because I heard them talking about it. It is called a, uh, a lateral bisection fracture. That's well, he had, term, and that means he broke both jaws. He broke the jawline that broke both jaws. And apparently that may have happened, his corner believes, early in the fight, and it just got worse as the fight went on. And that the trainer said even more, yeah. The trainer said round two after the fight. And Opataya, who was smiling and happy he won, could if those who watched couldn't even do mm-hmm. the entering interview because he couldn't speak. He just made some like screaming sounds because he was happy. I asked Dean Lonergan in our text exchange, did he do any kind of press conference afterwards or any media whatsoever he says he didn't because he hasn't been able to talk and he was having the surgery so uh you know unfortunately he has the biggest moment of his sporting life he wins the world title and he doesn't have the opportunity to enjoy it to engage with the fans with the press and to sort of take a victory lap but nonetheless he had the surgery he said dean said it went well i asked him how long they said he'd be out he said he'd be out about three to five months and uh, hopefully he comes back strong and is able to enjoy the victory. So we wrote about it on BigFightWeekend.com. The article is there as well for Sunday night here, this Independence Day weekend. The automatic question is, would they do this again? Uh, Bredis said, after the fight, I want the rematch. Obviously, the broken jaw surgery is going to delay things deep into the fall, if not the winter. Do you believe we will see this again? I don't know if the promoter gave you any heads up, but... Bradis yeah, cr- clearly wants a shot to try to get his title back. I mean, I didn't get into that with Dean because it was uh, obviously right. that would be something that they're not going to be talking about, you know, 24 hours after the fight. But look, when uh, Opataya fought uh, the fight, he did so as the mandatory challenger. So he's under no obligation uh, contract. You know, it's not like a, a Cambosis Haney situation where Cambosis had a rematch right and lost and is now doing the rematch. Uh, Opataya as the mandatory, um, you know, he was getting the shot, but uh, there was no obligation for uh, him to give uh, Bradis any kind of rematch language in the contract. I guess they could have negotiated, but my understanding is there was no rematch language in there. And look, it was a good fight. Obviously it, it uh, certainly got a lot of attention. Uh, it seemed like it went over. I was reading some of the, the Australian media accounts of the fight. It seemed like it was a, a well-received, obviously their, their guy won the fight. Um, so I, I would never say it's not, it's not out of the realm that they could do a rematch. Uh, you know, he won't have another, he won't have a mandatory to do. He just was the mandatory. So he'd have, ways to wait to do uh, whatever he wants to do you know does he want to go right back into that kind of tough fight next you know that's that's between him and and his team uh you know i'd like to see it i guess but i wouldn't have any problem if he said you know what i'm good and went on and did something else i mean that was a really uh grueling fight uh, there's plenty of time for them to sit and think about what they want to do and you know even though prescott didn't have to have double jaw surgery it's not like he's gonna be fighting tomorrow he was uh, pretty pretty roughed up also 
Yeah, and uh, and that looked like a broken nose. And I've heard this so many times, and then we'll move on real quick about the Opatia win. It, it may have been more dangerous for Bredis as the fight went on because when you have the broken nose, I've heard fighters talk about this. Oh, yeah. The tendency is you can't breathe without your mouth being open as you're winded and you're going on because you can't breathe through your nose and you're bleeding through your nose. And it sets you up more to potentially have your jaw broken. Getting you're also hit. swallowing blood, which yes. is not good either. I mean, so it's and a that lot of went on from like the fourth round on, and Opatia was hitting him a bunch and instead it's opataya with the badly broken jaw as it turns out so both that was just a real rough yeah. grueling grinding fight and you know i have to say uh you know all credit to to, to opataya for showing the heart to get through it with the bad jaw for bradis to get through it with the nose he went to the you know this was part of the broadcast when i was watching it you know they showed uh, him uh, bradis go to the opataya uh, dressing room afterwards mm -hmm. congratulate him uh, they were Obataya. There was some press that was in there. He wasn't speaking, but the trainer was. But Bradis went in, congratulated him. You know, said he had broken his nose in the fight. Said he had actually been ill for four days leading up to the fight, but didn't make any excuses. Says, you know, to the Australian press, enjoy your champion. Um, I'd like a rematch. And uh, you know, he was asked, you know, was he just the better man today? He said, yep, and that's it. So you know, no animosity, no uh, no arguing or complaining and moaning about the scoring. Just a, just a first-class fight with two good sportsmen. All right, so good stuff on that one. And again, you mentioned the Horn upset of Pacquiao, which was a dubious decision, uh, oh, not, to the level, not to the level of Tim Bradley, but it was a dubious decision. The five-year anniversary was on that day, on Saturday, the second, and Jeff Horn was in the building on the uh, Australian pay-per-view coverage as one of the analysts at the desk. Uh, previewing the fight and then recapping the fight. So he was in Broad Beach five years to the day after his upset for the Opataya upset, which I understand from their media and their hype, this is as big a deal there as not, I mean, not that Bredis is a Hall of Famer like Pacquiao, but this is arguably the biggest championship win since Horn for any Australian fighter in the last five years. I don't know if you know of one on the top of your head. Well, would I, would, I would actually disagree. You're just forgetting. You're forgetting about... Uh... George Cambos is beating Tifima Lopez. Correct. But I guess, I guess that was in, for correct. Oh, you mean, in, you mean Australia, in Australia, in Australia, that's fair. Right. Yeah, Cam, Cambos has won a more massive fight. No question. No, uh, but in good, terms of, in, in terms of in mm -hmm. Australia on soil at home. Yeah. Yes. You're, you're, you're probably, probably correct it. about that. Probably it on that one. So again, good on Opataya. We're learning that name more and let's see if that jaw heals up. You re you really wonder, and I know we want to move on. You wonder, is that something that maybe plagues him later on with how you put that back together uh, when you think about, again, fans, I know this is a little gross, visualizing your entire bottom of your mouth, a, a uh, bilateral fracture of your jaw is the entire bottom of your mouth. How does that heal up well enough for you to continue to fight and not have it re-injured? I don't know. I don't know that answer. We'll see. Unknown. I hope I just hope he's all right and he comes yeah. back to fight another day. We'll we'll figure that out. Okay, we do know later in the day in uh, London, BT Sport, Queensbury Promotions televised at ESPN Plus had it in the United States. Joe Joyce won uh, his uh, battle, the return of the ring after about a year layoff with Christian Hammer. We expected that. We expected the knockout. We saw it happen. Can I just say on the front end, Christian Hammer, veteran. Uh, what now 27 and 10 came in 27 and nine. He did not look in shape really at all. I know that can happen sometime with heavyweights and, and they were even saying on the BT broadcasts, BT sport, he looks exhausted in the third round of this fight. He went down and went down several more times. All right. That's my read on this. Joyce got the win credit to him. What are your thoughts, Dan, watching Joe Joyce's victory? Well, part of that was because he was also taking uh, heavy jabs and body shots from a big man like Joe Joyce. 
Christian Hammer, although he did get stopped in the fourth round, he got dropped uh, at once at the end of the third round and then three times in the fourth round, actually put up a good fight up until the point where the fight was over because in the first round and then again in the second round, it was rather shocking to see him bouncing those right hands off of Joe Joyce's chin. Joe Joyce took a lot of clean shots. That, And I was tweeting about this. If he's taking those kind of shots against a top-level heavyweight, mm-hmm. he's in the ring taking them against a Dillian White or a Deontay Wilder, mm-hmm. Tyson Fury, or a Joseph Parker. I mean, pick a top heavyweight, a Luis Ortiz, you know, an Andy Ruiz, whoever you want to name. Any legit top good contender, those right hands are going to do a lot of damage. Christian Hammer, not so much. But uh, I felt like even though he's been out of the ring uh, for about a year and coming off an injury, if you're going to call yourself a top contender, it's inexcusable to get hit with right hands that clean. Can now, I take he, it a step further that if Wilder had been in there with him with that atom bomb right hand, I believe that's lights out. Lights out like Dominic Brazil, lights out like Ortiz in the rematch. Uh, he was possibly, he was, I mean, he was fortunate that it was not a bigger puncher. I agree with you. Sure. Now, Joe does have a good chin, obviously. And he made the point in the uh, post fight interview that he did that it took him a little while to get the cobwebs out and, and to, you know, to get his footwork going and his head movement going because he had been uh, idle for a while. But, uh, you know, that rings a little hollow to me because you've been in training camp for, you know, eight or 10 weeks or whatever, and you've been sparring and, and you're that's supposed to put you in a position where when the bell rings, you know what you're supposed to do. Uh, but all that said, Look, Joe, as he's robotic, he's slow. He doesn't look like he's going to be a top heavyweight champion, but I can just say this. When you can punch like that and you can take a punch like he can, it may not be pretty, but you are going to be in any fight in the heavyweight division against anybody because the combination of the ability to, to, to take and also to give, those are the great attributes. If you're going to you know, forget the speed, forget the defense, forget the the movement, forget the this, forget the that. You can take a punch and you can deal a punch. You're going to be in a great position, particularly as a heavyweight. So I don't care who it is. Joe Joyce is going to be a dangerous guy or a tough out for anybody at heavyweight. Um, and he moves on. He keeps the mandatory status. Again, no, no surprise what happened. Christian Hammer was there to get beaten, obviously. Um, to Joe's credit, uh, he took Christian Hammer out uh, sooner than it took Huey Fury to get him out of there sooner than it took Tyson Fury to get him out of there. And several of the other top guys he went in the ring with, the Luis Ortiz, uh, uh, I'm not Tony sure it was Luis Tony Yoka. Yeah. They didn't knock um, him out. Ortiz, Alexander Ortiz didn't knock him out. Tony Yoka didn't knock him out for what it's Povetkin worth. Povetkin also. They all went the distance. So from that point of view, it was a good night for Joe. The only thing that I had concerns about was, you know, when you see him get hit with those right hands in round one and round two, you're like, boy, like you said, you're lucky you're not in with a, a legitimate top heavyweight because then it's going to be some problems. But uh, he did what he's supposed to do. He got the win. He got the rust off. He probably made a good payday. Uh, you know, it topped off the show. Uh, you know, he keeps the mandatory status as he awaits the outcome of, of uh, August 20th between Alexander Usyk and uh, Anthony Joshua. He was asked about that in his post-fight interview. Of course, he's rooting for his countryman, Anthony Joshua, he said, but he re- says he respects both guys. Look, He's, he fought Alexander Usyk in the World Series of Boxing in that semi-pro uh, situation several years ago. Uh, he wouldn't mind fighting him again. He wouldn't mind fighting Anthony Joshua. That's a big English fight, obviously, all Britain. Um, and as Frank Warren, his promoter, said, Joe will be back in the ring September 24th. I believe that's the date. Let's hear it for that. I love that. I saw you tweet about that. I saw uh, Frank Warren saying that from Queensbury yeah. Promotions. What so, a novel concept that a guy can fight July 2nd and be back in the ring like 75 days later. 
Yeah, there's no that. reason not to. It's not like he took any real, you know, he got hit a couple times, but no real punishment, no injuries. It doesn't speak, it uh, doesn't seem. The, the key thing, and Frank mentioned this when he was discussing it after the fight, uh, the good news was that the reason he'd been out of the ring for a year, he had come off the win over Carlos Takam. A couple of months later, he was in a training camp with uh, Ishmael Salas in Las Vegas, where he trains now, and he and he broke his wrist in the training camp, you know, and they were doing like a mini camp. Right. And so that kept him out all the way up until this past, uh, you know, until Saturday. So he's out almost, you know, a couple of weeks, like 50 weeks, he's out of the ring. Uh, but the good news was, you know, he came out of the fight against Christian Hammer with the wrist being no problems, apparently. So the fact that he could come back from the injury, go through the four rounds, not have it give him a problem. It's OK now for Frank to arrange a fight for him in September. You know, now, could that change depending on what happens August 20th? Look, you never know. I mean, but at the moment, he's, he's penciled in for that September date. The question is, who is he going to fight? One would have to assume it's a step up in competition from a Christian Hammer opponent. But, you know, I don't think it's going to be anybody too overwhelming because I don't think they're going to put him in crazy harm's way. Look, they were trying to do the Joseph Parker fight. Joseph ended up signing with the rival promoter boxer and the rival uh, uh, broadcaster in the UK, which is Sky Sports. Frank's uh, fights are on BT. You know, and it's great that they can all say, okay, let's work it together. But I'm realistic, man. That's probably not going to happen. And the reason is because you would do that on a pay-per-view basis, but Joe Joyce against Joseph Parker, at least to my estimation is not really the type of fight right. that's going to generate a huge amount of pay-per-view. Uh, so there'd be no reason for them to work together on that, you know, in, in a, in a, in a way it's really Joe Parker's fault. Uh, and I like Joe Parker. I never, I, I think he's a nice guy. I like watching him fight. I've covered his career a long time, but he's the one that went and signed with boxer and signed with sky and, and, and walked away from the deal that was out there for him to do a fight with uh, Joe Joyce and, and Queensberry. You know, if you really wanted to sign with Boxer, you could have said, look, I'm committed to this fight. You know, we'll, we'll pick up the deal if I win or I know, whatever. Afterwards. I know you've been with me now for about 90 days in our relationship as we uh, continue to rock along on Big Fight Weekend. But we love the name on this podcast before you started joining it. Ajit Kabayel. Could Ajit Kabayel maybe be that guy? And he has been on some matchroom shows. He's been on some other promoter shows. Maybe, And that's a guy they were looking to maybe have fight uh, Tyson Fury back about a year ago. Could that guy be a guy that they have fight Joe Joyce? Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. There's some names out there. I'm just saying good that we're not going to wait till December to see him again. Yeah. Get him back no. in there. Be more frequent. I mean, I haven't heard the name specifically Kabayel come up as far as his opponent for September. I haven't heard any names right. bandied about just yet, but off the top of my head, that seems logic. It seems like a reasonable kind of opponent because he, uh, like you said, he was definitely going to fight Tyson Fury if they were able to uh, get that, that date for Tyson wor uh, worked out. It didn't happen. Um, but yeah, he's, you know, he's a former European champion. He's uh, fought some okay guys. He's, you know, He's good. I don't know if he's going to be elite. He's but... credible. How about oh, that? Oh, he's out. He's Absolutely, he's credible. He's credible. Yeah, he's that... credible. We'll see. We'll see if they do something with Joyce. All right, I want to get another feeling from Dan Rayfield here on the Fight Freaks Unite recap on uh, the undercard. And they did switch this up. We thought going into the weekend that the Cunningham-Tay-Tay fight for the Commonwealth a junior featherweight title was going to be the main event. They switched it up. They made the Joyce fight the main event. Heavyweights, you would figure, okay. Well, they, when they announced the event, it was the main event. Right, right. So they, they switched it back up. So this was the co-feature fight. And what a performance. Uh, we talked a lot on the Bet US preview show. Uh, we talked for a good two or three minutes about this fight. And you talked about Zolani Tete from South Africa 
uh, and, and about how he'd been a former champion. He had been knocked out before Cunningham kind of on the rise. What's going to happen in this one, boy, it turns out there was some fireworks early and Tay Tay scores a brutal, uh, fourth round KO. I have a couple of thoughts about this, but what were your thoughts on that? Because that, that was a obviously shock to the British crowd and the British fight fans to see Cunningham get knocked out. Well, my thoughts are that the rumors of Zolani Tete's demise are gradually exaggerated. Very nice. You know, he, had, yes. he, had, he had been a Bantamweight champion and a pretty good one, had been stopped, was moving up to junior featherweight. Uh, I don't know if I call Cunningham on the rise, but he'd been fighting okay. He had the title, the you know, the Commonwealth title. Uh, I felt like he would, would probably be the favorite. Um, and look, Tete, one thing when he was the Bantamweight, uh, when he was at Bantamweight and he had a world title, uh, that he could do is he could definitely crack for a, a guy in the smaller weight class. And he just landed uh, the, I mean, the perfect shot on, on uh, Cunningham and just knocked him out. I mean, that happens. It's boxing. It so was let me, a, I, I'm a concerned. flush, clean shot. I'm with you. So he hit him, he hit him hard and knocked him down. And he was clearly Cunningham shaken by the knockdown and the referee allowed the fight to go on. My criticism and I've always heard this, and I want your feeling, would much rather have a fight stopped one punch too early than one punch too late. So Tay-Tay came back in, and I've watched the replay now a couple of times, kind of spun him around and hit him a couple of times and wobbled him again and had him hurt again. And I really thought the referee was at least a step out of the way from, from really being able to jump in and save him. And then suddenly there was like a needless one-two, certainly the second one on the one-two, and he slams his head down, and, and again, I was watching live, and I went, wow, that looks bad. And then he's not moving at all, and you're thinking, this is not good. And then Tay-Tay celebrating, and then Tay-Tay realizes he's not moving, and they're bringing the oxygen into the ring. They didn't bring a stretcher into the ring. I really thought, without being overly critical from me, that the referee wasn't close enough to maybe stop those last that last punch especially from landing that could have been much worse. You've done this a lot longer from ringside and covered this. I defer to you. What is your thought? You know, there are certain types of endings of fights and knockouts where it is a gray area. And I can absolutely see your point, but I can also see the point of view where it was so quick and so unexpected that the ref is there to do his job, which ultimately he did, but he's not Superman. Mm -hmm. So it is boxing. These are things that happen. I don't think that it was in any way a dereliction of duty or he did an atrocious job or was a, he was horribly late. You know, you want to talk about horribly, a horrible late stoppage. I think of Arthur Mercanti Jr. Standing over Diabellus Hurtado, uh, laying on the ropes and Pernell Whitaker landed about 25 punches on the man's <laughs> head. And he, and Arthur still can't decide whether he should stop the fight. Right. That was a dereliction of duty. Right. This is a different story altogether. And by the way, if you want to, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go on YouTube and watch the ending yep. of that Perno Whitaker Diabella Sertado fight. Well, uh, back which, by in the, the way, day, it, can I just share this? And you know this back in the yeah. day, like in the 70s and the 80s, if you were still on your feet, they would let you get pummeled along the ropes, even if you had been knocked down almost until until you get knocked down again and I start counting again, I'm not going to stop the fight. And they let you get pummeled. Uh, like, like go back and watch the famous first Alexis Arguello, Aaron Pryor fight, which was a phenomenal fight. But why? And I even remember the referee's name. You'll credit me five bonus points. Stanley Christodulo is the, is the referee's name. He Who, by the way, is Ar much more known as yeah. a judge than a referee. Yeah. But Christodulo let 
uh, Arguello take like 10 or 12 shots on the ropes. Boom, 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 boom from Aaron Pryor. And he's not jumping between them. And finally, Arguello is almost sideways, parallel to the ground, getting pummeled. And Chris Tadulo jumps between them. Again, that was a dangerous, maybe a punch or two or three too late. And I understand the point you're making. This was not that. This was a flash in the middle of the ring, a couple of big shots. He's off balance, then two more, boom, boom. Maybe I'm being overly critical. I mean, I'm I listen, about the, the, fighter the, safety. Yeah. I, I can understand the point. I just, I didn't think it was maybe because I've seen so many of these types of knockouts before mm-hmm. that it didn't register to me that, it, I mean, I, the knockout registered, of course, it was, you know, a, a thunderous sort of knockout but not the kind of thing where you're like, Oh my God, that referee, what is he doing? So, right. You know, I get it from both sides of it. I mean, I'm glad that he's okay. Uh, congratulations to Tete. As I said, the rumors of his demise are greatly exaggerated. Uh, we'll see if he can do something at 122. One thing about Tete, he's an exciting fighter and, uh, and, uh, and, and he just had been off for a little while. And, you know, it's hard. some of the South Africans, it's so hard for them to get the, the action because the, the, the boxing scene in South Africa has gone backwards so much since they had so many uh, fights there and so many cards there going back into like the eighties and nineties and even in the early two thousands, but it's been, it's been very difficult the last, you know, 10 or 15 years to have serious shows there. Um, so he's fought a number of times in the UK, you know, good for him. Maybe he'll get some kind of title opportunity out of any hope Cunningham can bounce back. All right. So good stuff on the recap before we get out of here on Fight Freaks Unite for this 4th of July weekend. There was some news that we want to share. In fact, you wrote about this. It will be made official coming off the weekend at some point here, maybe as soon as Monday, possibly Tuesday. But Michaela Mayer and Alicia Baumgartner are going to be part of the other ladies' world title fight coming in England in September between Savannah Marshall and Clarissa Shields. You wrote about this this weekend. Pick up on that. We get a ladies' championship. Very intriguing doubleheader now, right? Well, the, first of all, the card, which I had reported going back, you know, over a week or so ago, uh, that that Shields and Marshall had it. That, that fight's been, you know, set to go for a while. It was going to be in the summer, June, July. It got postponed to the fall for a variety of reasons in any event. Um, as I reported, that fight's going to be September the 10th at O2 Arena in London. Uh, but the, the, what happened now is that uh, Boxer, which is the promoter of the event, announced that they were having the news conference on Tuesday of this coming week where they'll announce the card. And then they said, and there's, by the way, a special announcement for something else that's going to be on the show also. And according to my sources, and it's, uh, you know, a mortal lock to be the case, is that announcement will be that the, the mayor of Baumgartner uh, fight to unify their uh, three titles in the 130-pound division will be on that card as the co-feature. In the main event, you have Clarissa Shields, who has three of the middleweight women's titles and uh, her, her amateur rival who hung the only amateur, lo- the only loss Clarissa's ever had. She was 77-1 and one as an amateur. She's undefeated as a professional. Her only defeat came in an amateur fight against Savannah Marshall a number of years ago. So they have had a long simmering rivalry. This has been a long expected kind of fight. They're finally going in uh, the ring together. That's the main event of the show. Uh, and, you know, it's for the undisputed middleweight title for the women because Savannah's got the WBO title and Clarissa has the other three titles. But people should recognize that Clarissa had all four belts. She was undisputed. She gave up the WBO title when she went down to the junior middleweight uh, division where she also became the undisputed champion. And now to fight her rival, she's going back up the middleweight where she still has the other belts. And now she's going to try to reacquire her other belts. So, you know, no knock on Marshall it's hard to look at her as a serious champ. She's a serious fighter, but not really as a champion because it's really 
the, the, the Shields belt that she should have still had. So there's two interesting aspects to this. Obviously, Mayer is really the only known female fighter for top rank and has become a bit of a marquee fighter for them. So two-pronged question for you. Does it surprise you a little bit that they didn't hold out for that Baumgartner fight to be part of one of their top rank United no. States cards? So you're going to immediately say no and poo-poo on that. No, I'm going to tell you exactly why. Okay, I'm but exactly I'm coming why. to the second part. How much do you think the Serrano, Katie Taylor, excitement, buzz, sold-out arena made all these parties go, hey, have both of these on the same card. We can charge more. You can make more. How much do you think that helped, if at all? I don't think that has anything to do with it whatsoever. Right. I know that that one thing people have to understand is that in the UK, Boxer, which has a promotional contract with Savannah Marshall and which has a short-term deal with Claressa Shields uh, to co-promote her with Dimitri Salida's company for her to go to England. So she did the one fight already. This is the second fight of that agreement. Uh, the whole reason they did the deal in the first place was to culminate with Savannah Marshall and Claressa Shields to fight each other for the undisputed title. So that's been done. And there was Boxer is one of the Sky Sports uh, output promoters that provide their content. Sky Sports works with two promoters. When Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Boxing left when their contract was up last summer and went exclusively to DAZN, that opened up uh, uh, the opportunity for other promoters to take the place in the UK. So what did they do? Sky went out and signed an exclusive deal with Boxer. And they also did a deal uh, an output deal with top rank. Now their broadcaster in the United States, obviously is ESPN, but the exclusive uh, British broadcaster is sky with, with a few exceptions because of people like Tyson Fury, who's already aligned with BT sport, which is the other uh, uh, primary boxing broadcaster, if you will, in the UK. So here's the thing because sky has boxer and top rank top rank and boxer are trying to work together to help each other in the UK market. And also obviously to service uh, their broadcast partner that pays them all a lot of money. So the way that this is working is that you have Michaela Mayer and Bumgarner, a fight that had already been made, uh, that didn't have a particular home, didn't have a location, didn't have an exact date other than to say it was going to be late summer, early fall. And because Sky would be doing that fight where, wherever it was, because it was going to be on an ESPN uh, platform in the United States, and they take all of the, the, the programming from top rank, the, uh, the idea was hatched that let's try to do a bigger event and, and that and put them together. They, they don't see there being a robust market in the United States. Let's say top ring I'm talking about in terms of uh, the weight class that Michaela is in, in the UK, you know, there are, uh, there's more interest, let's say in, in women's boxing, it seems to me. Mm -hmm. And I think they're right about that. And she is becoming a bigger name. She liked the idea of fighting overseas. Remember one thing, the two featured women, at least from the United States perspective, which is Clarissa Shields and Michaela Mayer, they're Olympic teammates. They're friends. They know each other uh, for many years. Um, and so it just made sense for everybody. It gives top rank a great spot to uh, have one of their significant fights, you know, and the only real deal that they have in the women's weight class. It's great for their broadcast partner, Sky in the UK, uh, which will have this event in their time zone. It'll come back to the United States on ESPN plus in the late afternoon. And obviously they have a very marquee main event uh, in the women's side of the sport with uh, Clarissa and Savannah Marshall. It just made sense for everybody. Uh, there'll probably be a big crowd there at the O2 and I have no doubt about it. Um, and if you like women's boxing, uh, it's a hell of a show. And by the way, I'm not the biggest women's boxing fan ever, but I love right. this Taylor Serrano fight. I was very interested to see that. And this is a doubleheader. Uh, Shields 
and, and Marshall, which I wanted to see anyway. And now you add on Mayer and Bumgarner have been chirping back and forth with each other. You know, I'm in. That's that's a hell of a fight. And, and, that, and is, again, I'm circling back to that point that that had to be a little bit of it, that that in Mayer and Baumgartner's case, all right, if they fight in the United States, you know this, this is the point you're making. They, they might have fought in, an, in a setting where they have a couple of thousand people and it's worth X. As you mentioned, they're now going to fight as the co-feature in this card. And I bet, my speculation, you know this better than me, it's probably double the money for them to be as a part of this card because there's so that. much more no. interest pay-per-view there lucrative ticket sales there probably going to be sold out there just my educated well, speculation i'm only speculating i don't know if i i think you're a little off on the on the financial element but here's something that's important for claressa and for boxer even though they work with top rank they didn't automatically have a united states outlet for the fight so by top rank being able to put its fight mm -hmm. on they were able to do this fight and get the United States rights on, on, on uh, ESPN. So if you're the boxer, Claressa, Savannah, Dimitri Salida, uh, Mark Taffet, her manager, all the people that go into making those decisions, it was like a no-brainer. Do we take probably mid-six figures in terms of a license fee to be on ESPN Plus for our event? Or do we go on pay-per-view or fight or try to sell to some other network where you could still probably generate some money, but not even close sure. to the mid six figures. I'm sure that ESPN and top rank are paying for it. So again, win, win for everybody, win for fans. We'll get to see it. It's a good, it's not just one good fight. It's two. And uh, that is the kind of fight that's going to have a huge impact on uh, what people think about the women's um, pound for pound rankings, because you have all four of those women who are in the two main fights are considered among those pound for pound type of uh, fighters on any list you'd make. Obviously, Claressa at a, at a higher ranking than anybody else, given her stature and her accomplishments. But that's a hell of a show. I'm excited for it. Good enough. Two more items, and then we got to get out of here on the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Quickly, uh, WBC says, hey, we now have a vacancy as well at 140 because Josh Taylor doesn't want to fight the mandatory challenger there. Give us the recap. You wrote about this on your Substack on Fight Freaks Unite. Give me the what, what's going to go on and what's the timeline here on Ramirez Zapata, Ramirez, former unified champion at 140. He's going to get a vacant title shot here as they vacated the belt that the Taylor camp has. Give me the details real quick, Dan. So Taylor obviously defeated Ramirez uh, to become the undisputed champion. They were each two belt title holders. They fought Taylor won. He got all four titles. He then made a uh, mandatory defense of his WBO title against Jack Catterell early this year. Huge controversy, right? I mean, he won the fight on the cards, but so many people thought that it was a terrible, terrible decision. I thought he lost. Did you think he lost? I thought he lost. I actually thought that I thought that Josh eked it out. It wasn't easy. I didn't say he won handily, but uh, I did think he it was close, but it certainly was close enough where I could see it the other way, and it was certainly close enough where he told me they're doing a rematch. I could see that also, but the point was once he defeated uh, Catterell, there was so much criticism about the result. Unfortunately, they turned it on Josh when it wasn't his fault. He, you know, same, any, any fighter that wins a controversial decision, it shouldn't be the boxer that takes the ire of the fans or the press because all they're doing is fighting the fight. I mean, I remember talking to Timothy Bradley about that topic after he got death, death threats after he was judged the winner yeah. in the first Pacquiao fight, which was a horrible decision, but it's not Timothy Bradley's fault. All he did right. was go in and fight the fight. But anyway, the point is uh, Taylor now had all four titles. You can't, you know, the, the sanctioning bodies make it almost impossible. The WBA ordered their mandatory against a completely unknown guy. They did a purse bid. He had no interest in that. Was going to be paid on the purse bid like a fraction of the money. His team didn't even participate. Obviously, he knew they weren't. 
going to participate and endorse that uh, concept. So he then was down the WBA belt. Now the w, WBC says you got to fight Jose Zapata. Uh, and according to top rank, uh, at the end of the day, Cat, they, they were going to do a purse bid. It had been postponed several times. Friday was supposed to be the new date for that purse bid. But at the end, Taylor uh, and his conversations with his team uh, was more like, look, I don't want to fight Zapata. He's not scared of Zapata, let's be honest. But he feels like he just wants to do the rematch with Catterall to get everybody off his back and to prove a point and shut Catterall up. So he's opting to do the rematch with Catterall, which will probably be more money than it would be to fight Absolutely, Zapata anyway. Absolutely. And so therefore, he'll, he'll, he's no longer the WBC champion, but he's still got the other two belts. He's still considered uh, the number one fighter in the division, the, the lineal champion, et cetera. And so he'll do a rematch with Catterall if they can make that deal sometime probably later in the year. And so with the WBC title vacant, Jose Ramirez, who is ranked number two in the WBC, will now be ordered, has been ordered to fight number one, Jose Zapata, for the vacant title. And what's somewhat intriguing about that fight is that number one, it's two top guys. Remember, 2019, when Jose Ramirez was the WBC champion, he defended the title against Zapata, and he won a somewhat disputed, I believe, a majority decision. There was question marks about the result of that fight. And so this is the rematch that Zapata has wanted. Ramirez is willing to do it because there's high stakes to get the belt. And what also uh, is intriguing to me is this. Since that first fight, you have uh, Zapata having aligned himself with the manager, Rick Merigian, who's been Jose Ramirez's manager since he turned professional. And it's other than Al Heyman with a whole bunch of guys, it's really not the most common thing in the world when one manager uh, has two fighters fight each other. You have to go through and make sure you do things on an even basis right. and all that. So it's going to be, uh, there's going to be some issues there, not, not, not necessarily negative issues, but they're going to have to work through those processes. So what you're talking about is the old Don King rule. And that basically it, 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 it ruled the day through the eighties and the nineties. And there's now been United States legislation, the Muhammad Ali act, where you can't manage both fighters and promote the fight, uh, knowing well, that you have the winner, no matter who wins. So you got to be you're careful. Just a little bit, you're a little off base because it's two different things. Promoters do not have a fiduciary duty to the fighter. So Don right. King can, there's, you can't be a manager and a promoter in the United right. States. So King is the promoter. You know, if, if a network gives him $10 million to put on a fight and he can get the guys to agree to take a hundred thousand, uh, that's not maybe ethically correct, but now it has to be disclosed back before you could just do that. Right. But the manager, somebody in Meridian's situation, he is got a fiduciary duty to the boxer to maximize, to disclose, to basically cover their rear ends and make sure things are done the right way. When you have both guys in a fight, you have to be a little bit more careful and even-handed about how you go about doing things. But correct me here, because I believe I understand this correctly. The genesis of what John, the late John McKay, the senator, who, by the way, once mentioned Dan Rayfield's name on the Senate floor when going after people True story. for corruption in boxing. You did share that with us on the podcast. What McCain's point was, King was not only the promoter, but he was managing both fighters and then had options on the fighters after the fight, and it no. just became nothing a to circus. Had nothing to do with managing. Nothing to do with managing. But he did that a bunch, and it's still corrupt. Even if the Muhammad Ali Act isn't specific to that, there's got to be something that says you can't be the promoter and the manager of both guys because now I'm just saying in general, because now you're bordering on Vince McMahon's WWE with orchestrating it's very, how do it's I very promote simple. and how do I manage. It, yeah. In the United States, the forget the management. Yeah. If you are a promoter, the Muhammad Ali uh, federal uh, law is a matter of you have to disclose what you receive in terms of uh, money from 
uh, television broadcasters, those types of things as a matter to protect them, to make sure that you're not, you know, taking 90% of the money. And right. one of the genesis of this goes back many years ago. People should remember back in the early nineties when the first fight took place between Roy Jones Jr. And Bernard Hopkins, Bernard Hopkins was the only boxer I think that testified in front of the Congress when this was being organized many years ago. And what aggravated and upset understandably and would piss off anybody if you're in this position was when he fought Roy Jones, it was a, it was an undercard fight on HBO when Riddick Bowe fought in a Washington DC in a title defense. And he was fighting Roy Jones for the vacant IBF middleweight title. HBO paid Butch Lewis, which was Bernard Hopkins's promoter at the time. I want to say something like $600,000 to provide the services of Bernard Hopkins for the fight. Bernard Hopkins was paid $60,000 for the fight. Criminal. Obviously not an appropriate split on the money. And so the Muhammad Ali federal law has nothing to do with being a manager. It has to do with making sure that the promoter is legally obligated to disclose the incoming revenue for the fight so the fighter can understand that and present it to his lawyer, his manager, whatever, to make sure he gets a fair cut. The situation in terms of being a manager, you already have that fiduciary obligation based on that title. So the Ali Act and what Don King did has nothing to do with being a manager. It's strictly about what you got coming in as a promoter. So that's my uh, my my legal lesson for the day. Because you've set me straight. You've used the word fiduciary. You have also invoked Congress in all of this. So I love you for all of that. You did very well. Uh, with all of that. In any event, Ramirez Zepeda coming how soon do we think for that vacant title? Is that like in August? Is that a September? Or what are we hearing uh, well, or what are we speculating a, on? I mean, they have a certain amount of time before they have to, uh, you know, they'll have time to negotiate, which is, which will be interesting because uh, the manager is the same for both. Uh, Ramirez is with top rank Zepeda from what the manager says is a free agent now promotionally, even though he's been at times aligned with uh Zanford promotions and obviously done fights on top rank cards, but knowing the relationship that that Meridian has with top rank, uh, I see no reason why they won't be able to work a deal out. And I would expect that that fight will take place sometime, you know, in the fall. It won't be this summer. Uh, more likely, it'll be sometime in the in the mid to late, you know, before the end of this year. Let's put it like that. I mean, right. you know, I'm sure top rank is busy working on their calendar. They already got some dates set out uh, through the end of uh, through the end of August, even into September. Um, but that's a you know. That if Taylor is going to vacate, it's not like they got, you know, a top contender and some schmear to be the other side of the coin. You have two quality contenders. Uh, Ramirez has been an outstanding champion at one point. Uh, Zepeda has been a good contender and fought for the title a couple of times. It was in the fight of the year a couple of years ago. And, uh, and they'll have a rematch and uh, that will fill that vacancy. Good enough on all of these things. I think we're good. We covered almost everything that we could cover off the weekend. Again, we said this on the Bet US show. We had fun. Everybody enjoy Independence Day. Do so safely with the amateur fireworks. I saw the stat a little while ago uh, that between June 18th and July 18th, as a 30-day window, there are usually 15,000 nationwide serious firework injuries from individuals, 15,000 in that 30-day period. Now, granted, it's a humongous country, but this stuff is preventable. Everybody be careful as we release the podcast on July 4th, which is the point. Uh, by the way, we covered on the Bet US preview show that Dan hates baked beans, hates potato salad, but is cool with corn on the cob. Uh, if you're grilling out in the Rayfield household, we now know the side dishes, if that is the case. For well, I, I said corn on the cob I love. Yes. I'm okay. I'm good with coleslaw. I just, I don't like baked beans. I don't like macaroni salad. Hit them both. 
Is that like anti? It's not like anti-American. You said anything. you hated you hated potato salad, right? Well, I'm not potato saying anti-American. I'm just saying you should like one of them. But I mean, I, I just I, don't to each. To I'll just say this: that. I love America, but I'm not into all those sides. USA, USA on uh, on all of this. Happy Independence Day to the country. I think we're good here. Any final thoughts before we're gone on the recap, and we'll be back later in the week. Anything else, Dan Rayfield? Are we good? We are good. I will probably see some fireworks tomorrow night. And I hope to see some more later this summer in the ring. Let's that's well played. Let's hope that that is the case. We'll have a big fight weekend preview coming up uh, later this weekend. Heavyweights in England. Also, Mark Magsayo is defending the WBC featherweight title this weekend. All of that is in the preview mode later in the week. Let's do that for now. Have a happy fourth, Dan Rayfield. Thank you. And we thank all of you for checking us out here as part of Fight Freaks Unite. Again, find us on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed as well. Follow or subscribe there. Rate us and review us. Send us the screenshot. We've got the Haney Cambosis poster that we will randomly give away to somebody that has rated us and reviewed us since the beginning of June. You can get in right now. Rate us and review us. Send us the screenshot uh, to the Big Fight Weekend uh, social media or Dan's social media. Tag us. We'll see that as well. For now, we're good off the weekend on Fight Freaks Unite. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. We're, we're back later in the week after the holiday with much more. Thanks for being with us.